All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast, your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, your host for the show. Thank you all very much for your support. Get this out of the way at the top of the show, I guess. Like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. I don't care. Uh, We're still working on growing the show, and especially seeing as I don't talk too much about the business of this. I do it because I enjoy it, but as with most products like this, our numbers fluctuate based on the sort of generalized momentum uh, the uh, of an event coming up. And with UFC 254 coming up next week, I imagine we'll get a little bit more traffic than usual. So I'm hoping that you guys can help that with that. Pass us along. Uh, get people more interested in the show. Wherever your platform of choice is, wherever you found this, you can find our show. Uh, however you can interact with it. Comments, again, ratings, shares. That's all great stuff. We appreciate every single bit of it. Thank you very much. Right, on the agenda for this evening, last night, UFC on ESPN plus 38. Pretty solid card. A uh, you know, few ups and downs, but for the most part, uh, above average. Preview of next week, UFC 254, which is... I'm really, really hoping nothing happens to that fight, man. I really want to see Khabib and Justin Gaethje throw down. So we'll have a we'll be previewing that card. Then news of the week, such as it was, uh, which some good, some bad. We'll get into all that. All right, back with me this week after a couple of weeks off because you know life. Uh, Mania's resident trades. Jeffrey Harris is once again on the show. Jeff, how you doing? I've recently discovered the wonders. Made the proper way with the proper applications of egg salad sandwiches. Can be very good. I will take your word for it. I'm Jeffrey Harris. I don't think I've ever eaten an egg salad sandwich. Which is kind of an odd thing, but I don't know. They have to be, if they are done and made the proper way... They are excellent. Good to know. All right, let's jump into last night's event. UFC on ESPN plus 38. Main event, Brian Ortega defeats Chan Sung Jung via unanimous decision. 50-45s across the board. Uh, Heck of a fight from Ortega, especially when you consider he'd been off for nearly two years. Uh, he he did some interesting stuff I will get to in a second or two, but Jeff, I'll, I'll, let me give you first crack at this. Brian Ortega shaves his head, donates his luscious hair to charity. Uh, what did you think of the fight? What what uh, what were your big takeaways? Well, big takeaways, considering he, as you mentioned, had not fought in almost two years, and this was a fight we've been really waiting for a long time. Like, they've been... Talking about this fight, I want to say like almost a year, it feels like. And it took forever to get this matchup together. Uh, let's see. Okay, so apparently he, he slapped 
Korean Zombies translator back in March. Like I, that's like right before all these shutdowns. So they've been kind of like uh, at each other for for this fight. Well, that that that's event was good. Precipi- that event was precipitated by this fight being made and uh, right. So that yeah, that fight had been so, they've been trying to make this for probably about a year. So the better part of this year, really, they've been trying to make this fight. Um, considering his last fight, he got torn to shreds by Max Holloway for the UFC featherweight title. Uh, it was an impressive performance. It was a dominant performance. He was dominant by Korean Zombie everywhere. He didn't get a finish, but he looked dominant and impressive. He even did Chris Jericho's Judas effect at one point. It was a it was a good solid win. It was a it was a dominant good win that Brian Ortega needed because when you haven't fought this long and people are going to talk about ring rust, you lose the first fight of your career and you get basically destroyed uh, in a title fight when you were getting a ton of uh, hype beforehand. Um, you need to come back and you need to look strong. You need to look good coming off of a loss and, and sort of put that first loss behind you and show you're ready to still pick up the pieces and you're ready to go on another run. And that's exactly what Ortega did. And uh, Korean Zombie, you know, he's sort of a longtime high-level journeyman, but this is sort of what we've come to expect for him when he's in these sort of big main event uh fights where there's a lot on the line um i'm not gonna say he's a choke artist but he does tend to choke in these really big uh performance opportunities uh the title fight with aldo going back to 2013 uh fight with yair rodriguez uh that was back in 2018 that was also the main event um and now this fight with ortega um, so sort of a long history with, uh, Korean zombies sort of not being able to rise to the occasion when these big fights, uh, he's put in really matter. Um, I think, uh, the talk of a title fight for Brian Ortega is a bit premature. Uh, I don't think if he's ready were, to be. Yeah. I wish there were a viable option apart from him. Yeah, there is. Who? Zabit, uh, um, Magomed, uh, is he injured? Sharipov. Is he? I, I can't remember if it was him or Yair who pulled out of their fight this time yeah, around. Yeah, but who but. knows when Volkanovski will be ready to fight and who knows how bad he, he did have an ankle injury in August, but we don't know how bad that ankle injury is. Eh, that's fair. I, I just, and don't we don't know, I, know when when Volkanovski is going to be looking to fight and when he'll be ready to fight again. We don't know all those all those details. So uh, we there's a, there are some stuff up in the air, but all indicators seem to be that the winner of this fight would be your next title challenger. Okay, so here's according to Dana White, he had a high ankle sprain and fracture, so he was out of the fight in August against Yair. So they might want to keep the Yair matchup together, but I don't really well, feel like the winner of this. I don't feel like the I don't feel like Ortega as the winner should be put right around into a title fight. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't think he beats Volkanovski. 
I don't think anyone at that division beats Volkanovski, but you know. Yeah, we, I think Zabit does. Really? Yeah. You want to try and pretend a guy who does spinach stuff mostly because he can, with a serious gas tank issue, is going to overcome Volkanovski's. He's never lost in the UFC, and he hasn't lost. He hasn't lost in uh, in almost eight years. I'm not saying Zabit's not a good fighter. He is a great fighter. He is a very good fighter. But a guy who's got a gas tank built for, two, for you know, about a round and three quarters. What about Ortega's gas tank, other than this fight? He'd only ever been in one other five-round fight. Okay. And, let's, and it's not like he gassed in the Holloway fight. How do, you, how, do you know, how do you know Zabit has not been working on that? I'm not saying whether he has or hasn't. I'm saying there's no evidence. And all okay. evidence at the moment is that he gasses it. He's not won a third round since he took a meaningful step up in competition. I mean, uh, oh, who was that guy he fought? Calvin Cater? No, no, no. Before that. Stevens? Stevens. Which, no, 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 not Jeremy Stevens. Jeremy Stevens? Stevens? No, Brandon not Jeremy Davis? Stevens. Not Davis. Yeah, Botniak. No, Botniak. Botniak beat the crap out of him in the third round of their fight. (laughs) That's Kyle Botniak, who's who's extremely unmemorable. So so you you are not giving Zabit the respect? I want to see him in a five-round fight. That's all I want out of it. That's all I want out of him before. So let's see him fight. So let's see him fight for the title. He's the next guy in line. I mean, technically, Ortega's the next guy in line. No, he's not. Ortega's he ranked one, higher. He won. Okay, so he won, but he won one fight. His it. He won one fight in almost two years. I'm sorry, that's not enough. Look, I'm not. I'm not saying I wouldn't rather that you know there be a better contendership setup he at featherweight. Fight, but he should, how about he fights Zabit in a five round fight, and the winner can fight for the title? I'd be fine with that too. I don't dis. I wouldn't be opposed to that. My only kind of gripe there is it keeps Volkanovski on the shelf for another eight months. And we're in a global pandemic. Sure, and the man has bills to pay. So, so part of the reason he wants to fight is because this that's, is how. He, look, that's between him, his management, and the UFC. Okay. So he's so he should be sitting out for longer on no money simply because you don't like the Ortega fight. I I don't like title fights without merit. And so when you're in a position like this where there isn't a meritorious number one contender. The merit yeah. Zabit's not your number one contender. Zabit. Zabit hasn't fought in what, eighteen months? When was Zabit's last fight? Um, let's see. November. So not 18 months. About a year then. And Less than a year. Less than a year. He will not have fought come November. Okay. He's going to be so out for over a, a year. Fight. Book him in a title fight in November. He's not going to fight in November. How do you know he, his his ankle won't be better by November? Because they would have signed him by now. Okay. They would have had a fight. Okay, what about December? January? 
We know. Well, look, first of all, we know that we basically know the rest of the year at this point. Okay. Put them on the put them on the January card with Poirier McGregor. There you go. There will not be a title fight on that card. Why not? Because Conor McGregor will not fight on a pay-per-view with another champion. Is that in his contract? It is his stance. Why? He's not going to give another champion the pay-per-view point bump that he would provide them. When did he say that? Uh, rec- this last week, I think. Because yeah. well, this plays well, into that's what- stupid. All right, well, look. February. What is wrong with February? We, I don't, probably nothing. We'll see what comes out. But also, the UFC has not given any indication that they want to right, put well, Yair in the title picture. Zabit gets, Zabit gets my vote. Okay. And then as soon as he gets smashed, you can bitch book. about them rushing him into a title fight with no five-round experience. And then book Yair versus Ortega. There you go. Matchmaker extraordinaire, Jeffrey Harris. UFC intern, take some notes. Yeah, I, I I don't think that's what's going to happen. I'm pretty sure they're going to go with Ortega. I think that's a terrible idea for Ortega. Yeah, whether Ortega should take it is a very real point of discussion, whether he should be jumping back into that because, you know, not like you meant- he was already talking about Volkanovski last night, so he seems eager for it, but we'll see. He does, and look, you what, that immediate rematch between Volkanovski and Holloway did a serious number on how this division is kind of lining up at the moment. To say nothing of Yair, of, you know, between Yair and Zabit and their catastrophic inability to actually string together a meaningful series of fights mm-hmm. whether against each other or not well look if Ortega somehow beats Volkanovski that's very good that's very good for Holloway if you think about it oh yeah if that happens non-controversially yeah you would probably slot Holloway immediately into a rematch with Ortega and I would still favor Holloway, but with some of what Ortega showed last night, that that fight would look differently. I'm not saying the outcome. I'm not saying Holloway wouldn't win, but uh, Ortega did a though, lot of work. I agree, though, that Ortega, with the work he did last night, it was exact, not exactly what he needed to do, but he needed a performance like that coming off a loss in a near two-year layoff. Yeah, he... He fought a beautiful fight from start to finish. I was he's always done the stance switching thing, but a lot of that has been it's been in service of a move, not in service of a kind of overall fight plan. Here he went southpaw fairly early, whether to kind of protect his leg after he got kicked a few times or because he just saw something from there he liked. Uh his jab just constantly messed up zombies attempts to get close close distance he fought a really good first round jung had a much better second round in fact i was i think he was going to win that round until he got floored by that you know back elbow from ortega judas effect i don't know what that is but i'll take your word for it it's chris jericho's finisher in aew he does a, a reverse elbow call a Judas effect. Okay. Uh, he 
uh, yeah, he landed that. And I mean, Zombie today released a statement, you know, that he he can't remember the third, fourth, or fifth rounds. So that clearly did a number on him. And just the movement of Ortega, the you know, the jabbing was really really key. He started mixing in takedowns, which Ortega's takedown game prior to this fight had not appeared to be very good, and it looked really solid here. Zombie's not easy to take down, and Ortega got him down a couple of times, certainly got him thinking about it. Ortega's defense, much better than it had been in the past, he still got kind of a attempted one-size-fits-all defense. If you look at what he does when he's pressured, he tends to react with the same kind of sequence of blocks or hand positions, which is something Dustin Poirier used to do, and it got him into all kinds of trouble. But it is a step up from where Ortega used to be, and if he's still working on his defense and how and his reactions, he could be a... I mean, he had a lot of hype going into the Holloway fight for a reason. He, not perfect, but he had demonstrated a lot of potential and a lot of ability. With the developments he displayed here uh, he put that two years he was off to use he wasn't laying around eating cheetos he he put a lot of effort into revitalizing his career and changing his skill set so uh, if he is next for volkanovsky i would favor volkanovsky i favor volkanovsky again against every not named max holloway and i would probably still favor him against max even but that one takes a lot more thought on uh, to kind of figure out who's the better fighter between those two. Uh, yeah, I it it does suck that they've wasted that the UFC has wasted. Well, I shouldn't just say the UFC. A lot of time has been wasted as it pertains to both Yair Rodriguez and Zabit trying to put that fight together. Uh, you know, Yair fell out of their last the. I think the, not this most recent time, but the time before Yair fell out and everybody jumped to say they'd fight Zabit. Zabit and his management would not accept anything approximating a short notice replacement. That's fair. Look, you're not a, you're not beholden to accept a late notice replacement fight. No one is. I don't begrudge anyone that. I begrudge you when your manager goes on to Twitter the week after and says everyone's ducking you when... Several people, including a bunch of ranked opponents, said, sure, I'll fight you on short notice. Well, maybe he should fight for the title. That'll teach him. I mean, look, Calvin Cater's been chomping at the bit to fight to fight Zabit over five rounds. Okay. Because he fought them over three, clearly won the third. Arguably, I mean, he didn't win the second, but he won like the last two minutes of the second round. And over five rounds, I think, would beat Zabit pretty handily. What about what about Yair over five rounds? Um, We've only seen Yair in the one five-round fight. And he beat any one against Korean Zombie? Oh, sorry, two. Sorry, I forgot the zombie fight. Yeah, yeah, he did get that absolutely miraculous knockout. That thing is still just one of the most spectacular knockouts you'll see despite losing the fight fairly easily up until that point. Uh, the only one before that was his fight with Alex Caceres, about which the less said the better. Yeah, are 
does deserve a big fight for his next fight. He, he absolutely does. Look, this is one of the frustrating things about the Zabit and Yair fight falling apart so much. It makes sense. Like both guys are mm-hmm. in a, would benefit from the fight. It would establish a clear a clear hierarchy. Like it, the UFC is not trying to put this together because they lost a bet. It's a very solid fight to make for both guys. Yeah, I agree. Just sucks that sometimes you can't seem mm-hmm. to make those to well, get those to come together. Well, Ortega, I'm sorry about your luck, but you're about to lose a second fight for the UFC title. Yeah, I, I, would, <laughs> I would favor Volkanovski. Again, I I don't know. Someone's going to beat Volkanovski. It is an inevitability of the fight game. The way featherweight... Be I really would be shocked by that. We've not seen Zabit have to deal with, again, uh, a, a long fight. We've not seen seen him had to deal with anything like a sophisticated fighter. We haven't seen Volkanovski have to deal with someone like Zabit. Um, a Russian monster. Monster, excuse me. Uh, his, uh, his nationality is largely immaterial. Dagestani, excuse me. Uh, Dagestan's part of the Russian Federation. Uh, so the nationality would be Russian. Okay. I I don't know. I just I have a real hard time seeing someone who just telegraphs spinning attacks, goes hard for about six and a half minutes, and, uh, and then gasses having prolonged success against Volkanovsky. But again, Zabit's been out for about a year, so he might look different when he finally fights again, assuming he does. He will, and he will be fantastic. I mean, uh, I would favor him to beat Rodriguez, but I'm a fairly well-established skeptic of Yair's overall ability. Okay. But, you know, Zabit against Volkanovski, I favor Volkanovski. Zabit against Holloway, I favor Holloway by wi- by fairly wide margins in both cases. I would favor Ortega to beat him. But, again, you, you sp- he's been out for a while, so we'll have to wait and kind of reassess when he fights again. And he he really needs to we really need to see what he looks like going the five round distance because a lot of fighters have been done somewhat disservices by having especially in the modern era where five round fights are more readily available by not even, you know, scheduling them for one prior to a title fight. But anyway, that was your main event. Good fight. Uh, really solid stuff from Ortega all the way through. Uh, your co-main event, Jessica Andrade becomes the first woman in UFC history to score wins in three different weight classes when she TKO'd Caitlin Chukagian with body blows uh, about four, uh, 457 of the first. This is about what I said would happen. I don't have a whole lot to add Did to what I said last Did she use the fight week. at Bantamweight? Yes. Yeah. Or no. 
She has a number of wins at bantamweight. Uh, she okay. beat Raquel Pennington at bantamweight. Um, she beat... I mean, she beat she went to strawweight before they started a flyweight division. And she became women's strawweight champion. Yeah. She beat the gross. Um, Now she went. Now she's. This was. Was this her first flyweight fight in her career? Yeah. She spent the bulk of it at bantamweight because that's the only thing that was available. Then the UFC introduced strawweight. She dropped down to that. And after the loss to Nami Yunus most recently, she figured to try her hand at flyweight. I mean, flyweight's a wide-open division. It's one fight, but she beat the number one-ranked woman in the division. technically the number one contender, yeah. Even though Chukagian, by any rational definition of what it means to be the number one contender, was not the number one contender. Right. So, I guess you could go ahead and book that Shevchenko fight. And you've got Shevchenko and Jennifer Maya uh, scheduled for okay. a little so bit Okay, so the winner later. of that, she can fight the winner of that fight, really. I mean, she's not stepping over anyone in that respect. Women's flyweight is not a terribly deep division. It's not really a stacked division with a lot of ready-made contenders. Andrade is a former champion, and she, bust, she just uh, starched the number one woman. So you might as well. Good, good body work in that fight. I love good body work in an, uh, in an MMA fight. You know, it's especially relevant for. I'm not. Uh, I'm gonna say a few things here, and I want everyone to understand. This is not me. Ugh. This is a generalized critique based on evidence. I am not trying to throw women as a you know 50% of the population under the bus. Um, A lot of women's fights in MMA look the same because they follow the same pattern. Women, women's MMA fighters, not, not, again, not 100% of them, but the majority, I'm well over 50%. If you watch their striking exchanges, they look like they're fighting their coach holding pads. They enter, they throw the same repetitive combination. They back out to that same distance. Nothing really builds. Nothing really varies. It's a lot of rinse and repeat. Now, the women who don't do that are the ones who tend to excel at the highest levels. Andrade, Shevchenko, Nunes, Nama Yunus, Joanna, uh, Jermaine Durandamy, etc. But if you watch the av- an average women's fight in the UFC... Most of the striking exchanges look the same, exchange over exchange, and it's not really hard to kind of mentally remove their opponent from the equation, insert their coach holding pads, and you rapidly see this pattern develop. Uh, Somewhat factor in that most women, not all, most, don't have a tremendous amount of punching power. And you get a lot of them with, again, these repetitive combinations, most of which kind of focus on the head and don't really seem to do a whole lot. Bodywork is underutilized in MMA more generally, and it always kind of surprises me that more female fighters don't go to it because it's easier to rack up appreciable damage to the body unless you cut people open 
by going there when, especially if you don't have a tremendous amount of power, you don't need to be able to, you know, knock over a building to the influence someone's body shot. The insignificance of body work in MMA is highly underrated and overlooked. Yeah, the last, probably the last like two to three years, it's finally, uh, the game has finally kind of caught on to the importance of building that as part of your overall strategy. We've seen that in the la- in you know a lot of very recent high level championship fights. The importance of body work, be that on the feet or on the ground, because it 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 hurts guys' gas tanks. It it does damage. Yeah, and it's something that a lot more again women fighters in particular should be investing in more heavily. And Andrade is one of the few that does. Uh, she gets, just you know. It gets you points. It gets it. it, It's effective. It's very effective. I mean, at a bare minimum, it actually sets up your work to the head instead of simply you headhunting all the time. Exactly. And Andrade has always been committed to body work. That's a long staple of her fight style is getting close, digging to the body. She, it's what led, it's largely why I think she beats Rose anytime they fight over five rounds. She's already had a very, if you, if you really think about it, she's already had a very successful career. She's already been, she was a UFC champion in a much stronger, more competitive division. Yeah. Uh, I mean, women's strawweight is the best division in women's MMA period. Right. I mean, she lost the title in her first defense, but I mean, it's a, it's again, unfortunate it's a competitive that she, division. Uh, she's going to get a little bit overlooked for a couple of reasons. One, fairly or unfairly, people tend to think about her title winning fight as a bit of a fluke. And I, then, I think that's, un, that's unfair. I don't agree, but I'm not going to pretend it's not a bit of a narrative. I mean, you remember the outcry after that fight. People were saying they should ban slams. Mm. Uh, Again, which is ridiculous. Look, Rose got knocked out in that fight because she refused to let go of the Kimura grip when being elevated and then dropped. You let go of that for that exact reason. I mean, she lost the first round, but she was still in the fight. You know, it wasn't like she almost got finished. She didn't so, almost get finished, really... but that was not a competitive five minutes. Rose won that first round walking away. But look at what she did to earn that fight. Oh, uh, again, I'm not she saying I up agree. a good winning streak. So, I she mean, had a really good winning streak. I don't like it. I don't, I don't like that narrative. Hang on. I don't I'm not saying I agree with it. I don't. But I'm not going to pretend it doesn't exist. Because in, her, in her second fight. I scored the second fight with with Rose. I I thought Rose won the second fight, but it was you know. it was a uh, it was competitive. It was competitive, you know. And I think it wasn't if, like Rose just ran through her. No, and I think if that fight's five rounds instead of three, Andrade wins. I mean, exactly. I don't, so, I don't think yeah. they I don't think they let Rose come out for a fourth round after the way her eyes swole up at, at the end of the third. My but, point is Jessica well, is on. a very yeah. Well, my point was again she has this again the argument about her title win being a little bit you know, again somewhat fluky. I, I don't necessarily agree with it, but that is 
something that is out there. To follow that up with not just losing your title in your first title defense, but to get sparked out in the first round, it just it does kind of lead people to overlook what you accomplish, and that's an unfortunate reality. But when you consider many many fighters are never gonna even get that one even get that one title reign where they never even defended. And then the fact she's had success in multiple weight classes now uh, and been a champion, that's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. She has absolutely had... an impressive had, resume. She has a very good resume. She's, she's someone that is going to get slept on when people talk about you know, genuinely good to great fighters. All right. For some of the reasons uh, listed above. And the fact that she kind of fell between you know, Rose, who we were all, a lot of us were, you know, I think most, you and I picked Andrade to win that, that fight between Rose right. the first time. But a lot of people were very, very high on Rose for good reason. It's not like she, you know, it's not like Rose's hype and came Rose out. Rose had a good, very, she looked very good in the first round, but I don't think it was a fluke. It was just, you know, you make mistakes in fights, and you do. You pay and for them. You pay very violently. Um, now but, that said, I I would not pick at this time. I'm not picking Andrade to beat Valentina, but it's I'm a not, good I'm not it's a good matchup. Anyone. I like the matchup. I'm not picking anyone in that division <laughs> to beat Valentina. Look, so, yeah, someone's just, going to at some point, but I'm happy to be wrong when it happens. Picking Valentina, yeah, she just sure. is so much. If you, this and this is probably one of the, the better matchups you can give her right now, really. Yeah, assuming she beats Jennifer Maya, and I expect that, her and Andrade would be an interesting thing. Valentina likes to fight at a very deliberate pace. Andrade is not just a tank, but has a great motor. That woman can fight for five rounds. Andrade uh, is, is not even 30 yet. Wow. Oh, Feel She's like you wasted, started very young. Feel like you've wasted your life yet? <laughs> Not yet. Probably soon. Uh, Considering so, I lost this whole year. Eh, I've lost oh, years you, other than 2020. Oh my god. <laughs> no, but no. It's very impressive. Yeah, I I imagine she'll be next. You know, you uh, Valent- assuming Valentina beats Maya, then yeah, get do Andrade from Valentina. I mean, again, the other top contenders were Caitlin Chukagian, who just lost Maya, who's got a title shot, Cynthia Calvillo, who just got injured and had to pull out of her upcoming fight. Uh, then you get to Lauren Murphy, Jessica I, and Joanne Calderwood, and. Cavillo is not ready for that. She needs one more really solid win, I think, to earn a title shot. Because she had that draw to Marina Rodriguez, where she did not look good. And she missed weight for that fight. Was that at flyweight or was that at strawweight? Uh, it was catchweight. I think and it was, was supposed to be... What was the catchweight? 120. The catch rate, if the catch rate was 120, that was a strawweight fight. So I guess it was supposed to be strawweight. 
So she returned to flyweight against Jessica I. Yeah, I would say she needs at least one more solid win at flyweight to get a flyweight title shot. Well, again, she had a fight scheduled, but she pulled out of it this last couple yeah. of the last. So hopefully week. she'll get it scheduled. Uh, so Cavillo on- got a little overhyped after her debut. I'm not saying she's a bad fighter, but you know, if the honeymoon period is definitely over with her. But you know, women's flyweight is not exactly, you know, yeah, a great division. It's not a so. developed. It's not a great developed division. There's not a lot of real exciting contenders in there right now. So you can, you can make. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You, you got to take short. It's like the shortest division. It's the shortest division to have success right now. There's a handful of divisions. There's a handful of divisions that you can very, very rapidly amass a case for a title shot. Men's men's flyweight, women's flyweight, right now. Women's bantamweight would be a. You could easily make a quick run there. That that's a weak division. uh, Light heavyweight. And the Amanda Nunez. Commemorative There's division. Not a, there's not <laughs> featherweight's not a division. <laughs> but you know, light heavyweight, yeah. uh, light heavyweight. You could. I mean, look at what both Tiago Santos and Anthony Smith did. They moved up from middleweight, got you know two or three wins, and hey, title shot. Ah, uh, mean, mean. Uh, yeah, look, it's a little bit harsh, but that's and to be abundantly clear, other people tried moving up. And did not have as much success. Rockhold, former champion. Chris Weidman, former champion. Yeah. Jacare Souza, former nothing. Uh, uh, former strike, first middleweight champion. They all they all tried their hand up at 205. It went badly for all of them. Okay. It's not easy in the sense that there's okay, no so effort they, at all right, so don't So don't undersell Tiago and... Um, so don't, so don't undersell what what Tiago Santos was able to do and uh, Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith beat two guys who should have been retired for at least three years. All right. You know I'm right. Uzdemir. <laughs> he submitted Uzdemir. He did. Uh, look, I'm not saying he didn't have a good win before the title shot. I'm saying beating Rashad Evans and Shogun – in 2019 or whatever are not exactly, you know, earth-shattering wins. Uzdemir was a legit contender. Uzdemir okay. was a legit contender, yes. And he beat he beat Uzdemir right after he fought for the title. So yeah, And then he beat Gustafsson after he, uh, not long after that. It's I'm not saying the man didn't I'm not saying the man didn't earn you know, something he, earned of a shot, he earned a shot against Jones at he earned, that time. He earned a shot. It was made easier by the state of the division. Now, now. That's my point. That said, Anthony Smith is starting to look more like the Anthony Smith of old these days. The kind of the journeyman type fighter. And, I mean, heavyweight's in a similar spot. It's... It's not... <sighs> it is not an easy path, but it's a lot shorter. Right. I mean... But divisions go through di- – what I will say in defense, divisions go through these type of growing pains from time to time. It does, 
it certainly happens. Old you know, talent ages out, washes out. New fighters try to come in. Some make it, some don't. Right. The fact that women's flyweight has been in this state yeah. since it was announced, or light heavyweight has a problem but, with this date back but, at least look, seven years. But look, Valentina though is a killer. Oh yeah. I mean, arguably could have been a two weight division champion. Arguably. I, so look, I still think she won that second yeah, fight with exactly. Perez. So. So basically, even if it's a short, pa- shorter path to contendership at flyweight, standing at the end of it is Valentina, yeah. who is like not, who, who's just not an easy pro. That's not an easy prospect. She's, she is one of the most dangerous women on the planet. Period. At multiple, at multiple weight divisions, basically. Yeah. I mean, she beat Holly Holm. Oh yeah. She is a very she is a very skilled, talented athlete. Just talented everything, really. Yeah, I I don't disagree. And she, and she makes noses rose. Uh, now you got me thinking about how a fight between her and Rose Namajunas would go. She's actually not an uninteresting prospect, given some of how Rose chooses to fight these days. No. I like Rose, too. Alright, I'm just going to read off the rest of these, and then we can take a second for when we're done, if you're so inclined. Uh, Jimmy Crute scored a very brutal knockout over Modestus Bukowskis, uh, 2-1 of the first round. This is why you keep your hands up when you kick, kids. Because if you don't... uh, A brutal finishing sequence from Crute. He dropped him with a right when Bukowskis threw a left kick. Uh, uppercut, finishing sequence, it's really nice stuff. James Krause defeated Claudio Silva via unanimous decision, 30-27 on all three scorecards. Uh, not a whole lot there, but not the worst fight either. Jonathan Martinez defeated Thomas Almeida via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, both men moving up to featherweight for the first time. In the case of Almeida ending a near two-year layoff. A little over two years, actually. I think his last fight was August of 18. They had a really good little fight, but Martinez just a little bit busier, a lot better with uh, in terms of his striking accuracy. Uh, and again, fun little fight. Uh, we had a couple of debutantes where Guram Kutataladze defeated Mateus Gamrot via split decision. I scored it for Kutataladze, but I can see the argument for Gamrot a little bit. This was your fight of the night. This was a darn good fight. Uh, full of uh, you know, striking exchanges, scrambles, fairly high-paced. Uh, sucks for Gamrot, who had a bit of hype. He was undefeated coming into this fight. Uh, had a pretty good run through KSW. But you know, both men acquitted themselves very, very well. Uh, Jillian Robertson defeated Poliana Botelio via unanimous decision, 29-28, and then two 29-27s. Uh, Robertson seems to be coming along from the very raw prospect she was when she got into the UFC. And it's time to start moving her into fighting more ranked opposition, I think. She called out Antonina Shevchenko after the fight. Sure. I don't care. Um, Junyong Park defeated John Phillips via unanimous decision. 30-25 across the all boards. I was 30-24. I gave Park 10-8 in all three rounds. Phillips can't seem to stop a takedown to save his life. And Park just got on top, 
rode him around, landed a bunch of very small shots that didn't amount to a whole lot, but kept landing and kept scoring, so good for him, I guess. Uh, Faraz Ziam defeated Jamie Malarkey via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Um, I scored this for Malarkey. I'm a little bit... I was surprised they gave it to Ziam. I'm just going to put it like that. A uh, little bit odd on the scoring there. Uh, Maxim Grishin defeated Gadzimirod and Tagulov via TKO. Punches against the cage, 458 of the second round. Mediocre light heavyweights in a... What's smaller than a walrus? Leopard seal, I guess. Because if you have mediocre heavyweights... Sea lion. Sea lion. Okay, because mediocre heavyweights I kind of describe as walrus fights. So, sea lion fight, sure. Uh, This was a sea lion fight. And kicking everything off, Saeed Nurmagomedov defeated Mark Striegel via knockout 51 seconds into the first round. Uh, Caught Striegel coming in with a nice little uh, kind of extended left hook. Dropped him... uh, Another brutal finishing sequence. He just punched him into the land of you know, wind and darkness, as the phrase, as the saying goes. Uh, your post-fight bonuses: Kuta Taladze and Gamrot, fight of the night. Andraj and Jimmy Crute both got performances of the night. I don't disagree with either of those. Uh, again, pretty solid night of fights all around. Uh, some down, some you know dead ish spots. You know, Ziam and Malarkey got boring down the stretch. Park and Phillips watched the first round and then skipped the rest of it because it all looked the same. But the main card mostly delivered, so I'm I was I was pretty okay with the night of fights we got. Jeff, any any other big takeaways from this? Uh, it was a pr- an impressive knockout by Jimmy Crute, even though he beat a cab driver without a Wikipedia page and only one win in the UFC. Uh, James Krause picked up his ninth UFC win over a guy who was unbeaten in the octagon. Um, not at like a great impressive fight, but a solid, solid win for James Krause. And that's about all I have. Claudio Silva is going to be one of those great kind of what ifs, I think. I mean, only two people have beaten Leon Edwards in the UFC. One's Kamara Usman, the other is Claudio yeah. Silva. He just he had... really shouldn't he really should not have lost this this fight. On paper, this was his fight to win. He's just has he's just struggled with activity. I mean, he missed huge stretches of time. Just wasn't able to keep an active schedule, and I think uh, yeah. you know. Time is this starting is to pass like by. Inverse, this is sort of like the inverse of uh, the main event, you know, where you had a guy coming off a long layoff and looking really good, strong, dominant, and then Silva just looked off and awkward and like he had ring rust, I guess. Yeah, it's it's, that, it's the man has a lot of ability, so uh, yeah, and you know, kudos to Kraus who continues to. Be a smart, technical, savvy fighter, and a darn good coach. But this is kind of the level I sort of see him staying if he continues fighting a few more years. Yeah, I'd be surprised to see him make a legitimate run at welterweight, but stranger things have happened. 
much Stranger Things. All right, let's move on to this upcoming event, UFC 254. Uh, This event will be this coming Saturday. Remember about the earlier start time, the main card, I think, is going to start at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, That's... Yeah, that's going to kind of suck for me, but eh, what are you going to do? Main event. Great fight. One of the better fights on paper that we've got this year. I don't think the best, but we're talking just on paper. Really good fight. Undefeated, undisputed UFC lightweight champion Khabib Nurmagomedov. Except he's not undisputed. It's undisputed. There's not a legitimate. They threw that into... They threw the interim title into that fight for n- no real reason. He's Look, I, I'm still interim champion nonetheless, so it is a disputed title I, by very definition. In not all interim championships are created equally. <laughs> Some lend you a legitimate claim to being the champion. Not so much here. Uh, but Justin, he's fighting Justin Gagey, the somewhat revitalized. Justin Gagey coming off of one of the most brutal beatings you'll find earlier this year when he shellacked Tony Ferguson for almost the full five rounds before the ref mercifully stopped it. Uh, This is a really good fight. And I'm a little bit torn on how this goes. I mean... I don't know anything about how fights go. I get it. My you know, predictions such as they are, are just, you know, they're act, they're inaccurate more often than not. Um, I think the old Justin Gaethje would have been a much easier fight for Khabib only in the sense that I think there's a, I think there would be a much clearer path to victory. Gaethje's not an easy out for anybody. But this version of Gagey, the one that's a bit more patient, a bit more willing to seed ground, technical, uh, willing to find spots for his punches a bit more. If you, one of the reasons I think we've seen him start flatlining guys a lot more is, if you look at him before, he wasn't really. It's not that he didn't stop people, but he was more concerned with volume and pace and just kind of constantly being busy whereas picking his shots a bit more and sitting down on being willing to kind of sit down on them has maximized his power in ways that he just couldn't when his goal was to land you know 20 strikes every you know uh, minute or so it's it's been a good it's been a really good uh, change for him it certainly lengthened his career uh, his leg kicks are horrible, especially now that he started going to the calf instead of the thigh. You rack up damage on those on those very very quickly. The problem I think he might there's a couple of problems he's going to run into here. One has to do with him seeding ground. Um, he's got to mind his cage position. Very, very diligently. This worked for him against Tony Ferguson in no small part because, one, Tony was more concerned with striking than he was with anything else, and that gave Gagey opportunities to punch him in the face really hard and get him to back off. But Tony also, 
Tony doesn't care a whole lot about where he is in the cage. Uh, he moves, I mean, he moves around very well. Tony does, and he's pretty good about keeping his back off the cage most of the time. But if he sees you on the fence, he's not really a guy that's going to pressure you there, cut you off, and try to limit your options. He just tries to inflict damage more often than not. Getting back into some of the cage positions that Gagey was in against Tony would get Khabib to shoot on him and push things into the fence. And that's where Khabib lives. He wants contact and he wants to be on the fence. And once you're there, you're in a world of trouble. Gagey has a good wrestling game. He He has a good wrestling pedigree. He's not been forced to demonstrate a tremendous amount of wrestling acumen over his MMA career because of how he chooses to fight and how his opponents have uh, accommodated his fighting style or been forced into fighting that way, whether they wanted it or not. The handful of times we've seen someone use wrestling against him, it, it rapidly drained his gas tank. Eddie Alvarez got him down. He got right back up, but uh, uh, Poirier too. I think Poirier got him down once or twice, but it wasn't able to do anything with it other than sap the cardio a little bit. And that's now those are pre-adjustments he has made. I'm not. I'm not certainly blind to the changes Gagey has put into his career over the last, you know stretch of time but while cardio is something everyone can work on there's also just biological predispositions when it comes to cardio uh some people can you can only ever get it so good and even then you know rapid changes in what you're doing can drain it pretty drastically so I'm, that's going to be a big thing for Gagey because if Gagey gets tired, uh, that will go very, very badly for him very quickly. We've seen Khabib get hit a few times, but his chin has held up remarkably thus far. Now, Gagey might be the hardest puncher he's ever faced, so that's certainly a bit of an X factor. But you know, where they are in the cage is going to make essentially all the difference in the world. Which of them chooses to seed ground and how that plays into things? Khabib doesn't mind backing up because as you're coming forward, he's able to then time takedowns. He also doesn't mind going forward because then eventually you run into the fence and he's able to close distance. I will not be surprised if Justin Gagey wins this fight. I'm I'm just not surprised we're dealing with the highest level of the fight game in the most competitive division or the second most at worst. But I do lean towards Khabib. I think his striking defense has been good enough. I think the fact that he is he is as relentlessly monodirectional as Gagey is, and those two things clashing, the way they tend to clash, I if he doesn't get caught, I just tend to like the way Khabib saps the energy out of you over time. And I tend to think he'll win here, but you know, we have the fights for a reason, and Gaethje is certainly nobody's stepping stool. This is going to be a fight for as long as it lasts, whoever comes out on top. So, my analysis, such as it is, Jeff, 
What do you got for this fight? Because I feel very comfortable picking Habib. Uh, I I see ways Gagey can win. I just don't feel confident picking him as the winner. If that makes any sense. Uh, I think his his power, his his skill level, the improvements he's made in his game in his recent fights, uh, becoming more patient. Um, looking for those openings, not just going balls to the wall and just blitzing and brawling. Um, he has taken steps to become a better fighter, a smarter fighter, and he's been very effective. Um, and he's been knocking guys out and finishing guys. So I, I that said, I just don't see him putting together that perfect game plan to overcome Habib, and I'm just going to pick Habib by decision. That's just sort of what I see happening. Habib is just to his wrestling, takedowns, his athleticism, his ability to grind and just impose his will on guys. I just don't think he's going to give up ground. As you said, I don't think it's going to be him giving ground to Gagey. I just don't think he's going to allow it. Uh, I think Gagey will have some strong rounds, some moments. I think much like even Poirier did, but I don't think he's going to overcome Habib. Yeah, I I mean, I don't think there's anyone at lightweight I would pick to beat Khabib. There's a bunch of the people who one I would guy, There's only one guy at lightweight I would pick to beat Habib. There's just one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't pick Tony His at this point. Tony Ferguson. El Kukui. I wouldn't pick Tony to beat Khabib, but there's about four or five people I wouldn't be surprised if they beat him. Is the best way to kind of think about it, I think. I would favor Khabib. I favor him against essentially the division. But if Gaethje beats him, I'm not going to be shocked. If, if, Tony, if he and Tony were to fight and Tony were to beat him, I wouldn't be shocked at all. If Poirier finds a way to get it done in a hypothetical rematch, wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't even be shocked if Connor beat him in a potential rematch. Now, these are these all have varying degrees of likelihood. I would be shocked. I, I wouldn't. I mean, I find that the least likely of the scenarios that I presented, but... The gap between Habib and Connor is, it's like... A Grand Canyon level gap. The gap in their grappling is enormous, but it's not like Connor doesn't have exceptional, you know, striking accuracy and power. So if he were, if also he were, not like he wasn't protected over the course of his career from facing very tough opponents. In certain, in the early cases, in the early part of his career, certainly. But he's got the ability to beat pretty much anybody. It's just his skill set is like everyone fallible. And would I be I wouldn't be shocked if he were to if he were able to time and catch Khabib in a in a hypothetical rematch. I'd be shocked if he I wanted to I would be shocked. I would be shocked if he won a decision. Khabib almost put him to sleep. No. I don't think at any point he got close to putting him to sleep. He almost knocked him out. He knocked him down with a good punch, but that wasn't 
Uh, look at Connor's reaction. That wasn't a. That wasn't even His close to a His foot was a balloon. That that was not even a. That was not even close to a knockout blow. But his foot was a balloon. I don't know that reference, but okay. Connor talking. My foot was a balloon. Okay. His foot was was not a hundred percent. I balloon. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it so, was swollen. Good for him then. I I don't care. <laughs> So uh, it's unclear what would happen for Khabib next if he wins. He does still seem to kind of be intimating his 30th fight will be his last. And I don't... fight. The roads do seem pretty clear for that, don't they? But... That only happens if he beats Gagey and the fight with McGregor's not there. He won't. And GSP, and they can even make a deal with GSP. Yeah, I mean, all parties have to be willing, but if you, I just mean it like this: if you take GSP off the table for whatever reason, you've got the. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but Poirier and McGregor are kind of set to fight in January of twenty-one. Mm-hmm. If Connor wins convincingly there's he then he has a very clear argument for being the next title contender and you know the ufc would go in that direction given the just monster business their first fight did yeah i mean they they would be they would have to be idiots of the highest order to look at okay the the payout that that fight would generate and go, you know what? No, not to at least consider it or try to make it. What was uh, it? What about Islam Makachev? Um, he was supposed to fight on this card. He was supposed to fight Rafael dos Anjos on this card. Okay. However, RDA tested positive for COVID and now there's not a replacement okay. fight. So that fight, where is Makachev right? Is Makachev not even ranked? Uh, give me a sec. Makachev is, he is 12. number 12. Huh. Makachev well, is ranked 12. One lo- he does have he does have the one loss, so he hasn't been. Yeah, I guess that's fair. No, this was a fight with RDA would have been the biggest of his career. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, even okay. if Poor if Poirier beats Connor, I I still think a rematch between Khabib and Poirier is a tough sell. Just you know, two fights removed. There's still Tony Ferguson around there, and we then need there's to know what the, Tony's up to. Uh, oh, uh, Michael Chandler. Chandler's didn't Son, now didn't didn't Chael Sonnen intimate that Chandler will fight Makachev? I don't know what Chael Sonnen did or did not intimate. Um, Chandler is video. There was a video Chelson and had where he was talking about a fight for Makachev. Okay, here it is. Uh, look, Chandler's the official backup for the main event for 254. Okay, here we go. Here, here we here we go. 
Habib told me if Chandler beats Islam Makachev, he'll be the number one contender. So if you wanted to do Chandler versus Makachev as Chandler's debuting opponent, debut fight post this event. Yeah. I could see it. That's a tough that's a tough fight for both guys. And I, I take it Ferguson isn't taking the fight with Chandler. Um they were talking about that for a little I, bit. I know that was just look, Chandler is currently he he is your backup for two fifty four. Okay. We won't know anything else that he's going to do until after that event. Okay. Ferguson not, should be the backup. I don't think you could do – if Khabib falls out, you can't do a Tony Gagey rematch. Sure you can. There's no appetite for that. Especially not that one-sided – Speak for yourself. Okay, look, as a fan, sure. But that was a fairly one-sided fight. That Gaethje, you know, and Gaethje just shellacked him. Okay. There's no call for an immediate rematch, especially in a in, in what would be for the, I imagine, the undisputed title. Okay. I still want to see Habib versus Ferguson. So do I. I really, if that fight never happens, it will be a tragedy. Okay. I very much want to see that fight. I mean, well. If Habib went okay, this is a big what if. If Habib wins this fight and he wants to retire after his next fight, and that is the last fight of his career, and if the UFC can make a deal done and all parties are okay with it, I would be fine with his last fight being against GSP. That's sort of like thank you for everything you've done for the sport. This is the last fight. You know, you're basically going to be relinquishing the title. You're going to have, like, your career-ending fight against GSP. Dana White's already said he's okay with it. GSP seems open to the idea. Because, and GSP has talked about this fight for a long time. So, you could, I'd be, in that scenario, in that specific scenario, I'd be okay with that. But who, I mean, we have seen fighters, notoriously change their minds and go back on their words repeatedly for years, Robert. So yeah, fighters are tremendous liars. Yeah. So if Habib is serious about that and, and, and that scenario plays out that way, I would be fine with it. But do I believe it's going to play out that perfectly? Not a chance in hell. I tend to believe that if Khabib wins his 30th fight, he would retire. Uh, that's uh, that's just kind of what... He, I, up- I feel like it's more likely he gets drawn into a Connor rematch scenario, even if he doesn't need the money at this point, which I don't know, but... Some we'll of that... Look, some of that depends on whether... On how much Khabib wants to... Look, Khabib has said that he will not rematch... He said he would not, he absolutely would not coach on the ultimate fighter against him. He said, and I forget the specific wording of this, he said he will not grant Connor a rematch until he's earned it. And to be fair, if Connor knocks out Dustin Poirier hypothetically, then he has a very good argument for having earned it. Ferguson still wants to fight with Habib. 
Habib still wants that fight. So. It's it's a crying shame that fight has not happened. But the fact that you say that every time you say that is a white needle to my heart. Believe me, I I wanted that fight to happen. I really did. Okay. So no matter what happens, there are lots of options on the table. There's a lot. Yeah. I and. This is this is these are good options and and this is the positive aspect of having a division as stacked as lightweight and competitive as lightweight. Yeah, if Gagey wins, uh, you could do a rematch with him and Poirier, assuming Poirier beats Connor. You could do Gagey Connor. Depending on how that fight goes, you could do an immediate rematch. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but. I, the UFC's not shied away from that. You gauge the GSP. <laughs> I no. <laughs> that wouldn't happen. Dan Hooker. Uh, yeah, you got Hooker, but Hooker just lost and, to and Poirier. That, and, and look, Michael Chandler is—he's signed to the UFC now. We we need to see Chandler fight to figure out where he's going to figure out into all this. So yeah, there's there's a lot of options. There's a lot of stuff up in the air, but it's. It's a great fight. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, your co-main event. I love this fight. I like this fight. Uh, Robert Whitaker, former middleweight champion, technically, uh, will battle Jared Cannonier. Uh, this is probably a title eliminator for Cannonier. If Cannonier wins, he's he should get the next title shot at middleweight. It's a little less clear whether or not the same holds true for Whitaker. But uh, I certainly wouldn't discount it. Cannoneer uh, has looked really good since dropping to middleweight. He's undefeated since coming to middleweight, 3-0. and He's finished all of his opponents. He's all looked of- like a completely different elite-level fighter since dropping to middleweight. I mean, he knocked out David Branch 40 seconds into the second round. He stopped Anderson Silva with leg kicks uh, in the first. Knocked, knocked out, out Jack Hermanson, who was doing very, who was having an amazing run at that point. And knocked him out 27 seconds into the second round. I mean, Hermanson just submitted Kelvin Gastelum, who's a former title contender, right after the can. So Hermanson is still really good. Yeah. Uh, where's Hermanson ranked, actually, now that I think about it? Yeah, Hermanson's ranked four. So he's still very much a player. Uh, I have a hard time picking against Robert Whitaker. Uh, and I will not be surprised if Cannoneer wins. Cannoneer has power, has a good, diverse, you know, offensive offering himself. If this were five... He showed a lot of marked improvement, you know. He's clearly worked on his skills, his game. He's gotten better. If this were five rounds... Right before our house. Ice, excuse me. That's true. If this were five rounds instead of three, I would be a lot more confident picking Robert Whitaker. But it's only three rounds. And that opens the door up for, you know, craziness in some other ways. And I won't be surprised if if Cannonier gets it done. I'm still picking Whitaker, but uh, this is a 
very telling fight for both men. And if Cannoneer gets this, you know, him and Adesanya is certainly a... I favor Adesanya rather heavily, but is certainly a compelling fight. Uh, if Whitaker wins, it's still a it's still kind of tough to uh, sell that rematch with him and Adesanya that their first fight. Watching it live, I thought Whitaker did a lot better than he did on review. Second time, my second time through that fight. That's Dana that White seemed okay with fight. the idea when he had a. I think he talked to Brett Okamoto. He seemed uh, he seemed okay with the potential rematch. I mean, look, he's he's clear. Look, I always filter what Dana White says, but he seemed to like the idea of you know of how this fight would play in the Australia New Zealand region. Yeah, if they get to a point where they can you know, sell tickets again and have a big event, they could put that back in that part of the region and do another big number like they did last time. Yeah, that was mainly what he talked about, just how successful that fight. That They did a huge attendance for that fight. Let's see. Oh, yeah. 57,000. 57,000. It got a massive amount of, you know, media attention in that part of the world. You know, Whitaker's star power is limited. Uh, I shouldn't say limited. Uh-huh. It is somewhat localized to, you know, Australia. But he was on the cover of Australian GQ. Mm-hmm. I mean, the man, his, he's not a nobody over there. He's fairly well known. As, you know, Adesanya's star is so continuing I to ascend like, worldwide. I feel like New Zealand, I, my understanding, COVID has not hit that region as bad as it has other countries. Is that accurate? Um, it hit them. I think they've. Ha- I think for the last little bit, New Zealand had because New Zealand just benefits of being a small country locked everything down, let it burn through, and then just and they haven't had cases. I think uh, like they or broke. Not. They broke the curve pretty quickly, basically, compared to just how much of a disaster it is here. Well, again, benefits of being a smaller country. So I feel like. Dana White is thinking about if I can bring fans back anywhere, maybe the easiest place would be like New Zealand right now. And I think that's why he would want that's why he would be okay with booking a rematch between Adesanya and Whitaker at this point. Yeah, it's certainly a valid consideration. And I and you know, Adesanya fighting in one of you know, fighting in the you know, his country where he was raised not you know not born but like his home his adopted home country um and he was okay with the idea of a Whitaker rematch earlier so I don't think it would be so terrible for him that said I'm picking Whitaker for this fight Cannoneer is really good but Whitaker let's see he has a fairly good chin other than how he got picked apart by Adesanya. Um, great wrestling. Very well-rounded. I'm picking Whitaker, but it would not surprise me if Cannonier got the win here. Because he is, he is very good. He's got a lot of power, and he's gotten better. And I've really been impressed with his run at middleweight. Yeah, he's had a heck of a career resurgence when you, you know, especially when for those of us that watched his UFC debut at heavyweight. Uh, speaking Plus of heavyweights, Sean Jordan, which is all you need to know. 
Hey, Sean Jordan also beat Derek Lewis twice. Which is all you need to know. About why I dislike Derek Lewis in heavyweight. <laughs> exactly. But speaking of heavyweight, Alexander Volkov will fight Walt Harris next up. Um, <sighs> Harris coming off of that loss to Overeem. Uh, Volkov lost to Curtis Blades in June. Yeah. He had good. He had some really good parts of that fight too. Did uh, Volkov? He had some good parts against Lewis as well. Uh, he dominated Lewis up until he decided to engage stupidly and got knocked out. He, I mean, he beat the crap out of Derek Lewis, probably literally considering how much he worked the body. Uh, I, I pick Volkov here. I mean, I don't dislike Harris, but he's just not. He's not a good fighter. I'm sorry. He's just not that top guy. You know, he's not, he's just not up there. He gets by on a bit of power and his athleticism, but the better heavyweights in the division know how to handle that kind of stuff because everyone at heavyweight has power. Before he had like a a win streak, one, one fight in which where he tested positive for PEDs, um, he was lucky to still be in the UFC. Yeah, if he were in a different division, it probably wouldn't have. He probably would have been cut. By at virtue some point of the, the fact he was at heavyweight, because he's a guy that some other that some better guys they want to push can usually beat, they kept him around. Um, look, his record is thirteen and eight. He has well. He to be fair, he has been cut from the UFC before. I seem to recall. He had a run, didn't go well, yeah. and they brought him back sometime later. Yep. So let's see. He's won. I mean, the one, loss to Overeem was his first loss in like his la- in six fights. The win over Arlovsky was overturned. So uh, sure, but it wasn't a loss. It wasn't a loss. Yeah, wasn't a loss, but. Yeah, I'm picking Volkov. Unless Volkov just does something stupid again, which he's loath to do. He might. I mean, I'm still annoyed at how he gave away the Blades fight because he gave up the first couple of rounds. I think everyone knew he would. But the way he fought in the fifth round of that fight in particular was because that was the round that I think if he won that round, he could have won the fight. Fight Uh, IQ is a thing then. And... He's not the smartest fighter. Fight IQ meshing with... Fight IQ goes down the more exhausted you are. That's universally true. Yep. Uh, All right, a light heavyweight fight. Oh, God. The rematch between Magomed Ankalaev and Iwan Kutalaba. Look, I get... I get that the stoppage in their previous fight wasn't great. I do. I get that. I don't care. (laughs) Nobody cares. Why are we so doggedly determined to make this rematch happen? Ankalaev is actually a good fighter. His only loss is a last-second Hail Mary submission that Paul Craig threw up after Craig had lost 
Both previous rounds, at least one of them 10-8, and every second of that third round until the triangle choke. And he bounced back from that by, you know, going back to smashing people. Ankulayev's legitimately a good fighter. Iwan Kutelaba looks scary and swings heavy punches. That's about it. This just is a this feels like a giant waste of everyone's time. But that's just me. I I picked on Kalayev the first time. I'm picking him again here. Just don't let this go long, please. That's all I ask. Jeff, am I being too hard on light heavyweight again? Sorry, I was watching the stoppage for Kutalaba versus um, Ankalov. It's not a great stoppage. I mean, we can, eh. we can all look. It's not great. We can all acknowledge that while also acknowledging we don't need a rematch. I, I can, but I can also see why in that moment the the ref stepped in though. I, right. I, look, I can. It, we can do two things at the same time. I can understand exactly how an erroneous call was made. And you can still acknowledge it's an erroneous call. So I'm not saying the I, ref is negligent. Know. Sometimes I think it's. Eh. Whatever they're redoing the fight, I'm picking. I'm picking Ankalaev. So. Right. He's and actually a prospect worth watching in this division that you hate so much. I do hate that division, and that oh division. Oh my god. That I just saw Sam Alvius fighting again. Uh, yeah, he's on this card. He's lost four in a row. And here I thought the Sam Alvey experiment was over. Well, you were wrong. Haven't we done enough with Sam Alvey? You have to understand the question you're actually asking when you ask that question, Jeff. You really do. You're not asking, have we done enough with Sam Alvey? You're asking, has the UFC adequately punished the subset of its fan base that will watch the portion of a card where Sam Alvey fights? Oh, my God. More specifically, you're asking, have I suffered enough? <laughs> the answer apparently to not. is apparently no. <laughs> apparently not. We need to punish Robert more. I mean, in all seriousness, outside of other media, outside of people, he, but, but like middleweight isn't that bad right now. Why are light heavyweight? Oh yeah, this is light heavyweight. Even light heavyweight is not this bad. I. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> they don't need Sam Al. They don't need to keep paying Sam Alvey to fight. I imagine he will be cut unceremoniously after this fight, win, lose, or draw, and the pittance he was paid will be divided into three subsets of a pittance and paid to people who won on Dana's Contender Series. Maybe he'll fight on Contender Series if he loses this fight. You know, I really would not have objected if that was a thing they did in the UFC. If I, they got, If you got guys who have name value, who fans have seen... We're like, okay, you've lost three in a row, and not just three, not you know three in a row at the top end of the division, but somewhere in there, you've lost to middle of the pack guys. Yeah. You your your fourth fight is going to be on the contender series, and it's Keep going to be job. for your job. 
didn't didn't Dana White say they would do that on Contender Series? I feel like he said that once. He, I don't know. Someone else might have suggested it, and he didn't actively deny it. They have not done it to this point. Okay. They've had well, I feel like they should. Part of that might be because the Contender Series isn't actually the UFC. Really? Yeah, because otherwise huh. everyone who fights on the Contender Series would have a UFC contract they're, they're to fight on the Contender fights. Series. They're not. They're not. Uh, they're not exhibition fights. No, they are. They are legitimate fights, and they might be promoted. I don't know. They might be promoted under the UFC banner in like in the sense that. Really what it is is kind of a boxing thing in the sense that the big boxing promotions, you know, Top Rank, Golden Boy, etc., will have fighters on some of their undercards who are not necessarily signed to the big promotion. So there are people fighting here. Strike Force did that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, Strike Force with their Challenger series, that kind of stuff. They're so prelims. It's it's not unheard of, but uh, for, they kind of apparently want to keep a distinction between the contender series and the UFC roster. Oh, so I, I was I was technically counting it as UFC, but whatever. Uh, okay. They're not U. They are not. They are official professional sanctioned fights. They are not UFC fights. Okay. Whatever meaning that distinction has anymore. Uh, anyway, uh, kicking off the main card, we have Jacob Malkoon and Phil Hawes. This was, again, kind of originally the spot that Rafael Dos Anjos and Islam Makachev would have occupied. Uh, unfortunately, we lost that fight. I mean, this card was supposed to have a few other fights on it as well. Uh, Zabit and Yair were supposed to fight on this card. Uh, Cavillo and Lauren Murphy... That one fell out earlier this yep. week. Uh, Zaleski Dos Santos versus was well, he was supposed to fight um, Rachmanov, but he was replaced by Alex Oliveira. So yeah, as long as those top two fights don't fall out, I'll I'll be fairly okay. I will be sad if the co-main falls out. As long as the main event stays together, I can stave off, you know, the demons that haunt my dreams. <laughs> um, it's really, it's really a two-fight card. It, it is. This is a, this is a top-heavy card. It, it helps that that fight is really, really good. And I mean, the that's a good co-main event. Virtual, veritable title eliminator. For yeah, all I, intents and purposes. Depending on unless how it they, plays unless, out. Unless, unless Ariel Helwani is that desperate to make John Jones versus Adesanya. Well, if Whitaker wins, especially if he wins in uninspiring fashion, would anyone would anyone be, you know, who at middleweight would be screwed over if they did Adesanya Jones in, in those cases? Whitaker. Uh, again, say he wins a very, you know, boring right. fight that no one cares about. Robert, I'm not okay I'm not okay with what you're saying right now. I'm the, also- fact that Ad- the fact that Ariel, and no offense to Ariel Helwani, but the fact that he has gone so far into stumping for that fight has driven me close to insanity. Look, I'm not, not, I'm not out here saying that's insane. what should happen. I'm saying 
I can very clearly see a scenario where not only does that fight make sense in the, you know, in monetarily, it doesn't make sense. You're you wouldn't be look again if Whitaker wins a unbelievable ho hum decision. There's not going to be any momentum for that rematch. Sure, there, sure. And uh, so you wouldn't be screwing him over if Adesanya said, you know what, sure, I'll fight John Jones at you know catch weight of 220 or something. To me, it's disrespectful because that the fight hasn't even happened yet. Let Whitaker Cannoneer happen first, because if Cannoneer were to beat, no, no, no. I, and I've I've been unbelievably clear about this too. If Cannoneer were to deny Cannoneer after what he has done since moving to middleweight, and if he were to beat the former champion who's coming off a win over Darren Till. You could not deny Cannoneer at this no, point it, just for a super fight with John Jones, which is stupid, stupid, if, stupid. If Cannoneer wins, he should absolutely he should be the next fight for Israel Adesanya. One hundred percent. OK, I think the only way you can I think the only path to that Jones Adesanya fight is not only Whitaker winning, but the fight has to be boring. It has to be an ugly, okay. a dog ugly fight. If Whitaker knocks Cannonier out with Adesanya, I want to see Adesanya continue defending his title. You know, beating. I want to see if he can beat guys like Cannonier, etc. Let him, you know, build himself as champion and be like this. He could have. He, Adesanya could be on the cusp of having this epic legendary run, but like, let's see, let's see it play out. You know, yeah. I don't like these, these fights start starting over just stupid Twitter drops. Dumb. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, you know, Twitter drama is about as good a way to make a fight as meritocracy, depending on how you want to look at it. All right. Uh, so, again, if Whitaker Ariel Halwani are, are all over it, you're drooling look, over it. I see the only way I would be okay with it again if Whitaker wins a worst fight of the year candidate. Okay. Or you know there, or the winner of this fight gets injured. You know, say Cannonier wins, but along the way he blows out his knee, and he's going to be on the shelf while he has to. Get surgery and whatnot. I mean, Cthulhu could come out of the sea and retake the world. I don't know. Eh, a lot of things I, could happen. I find that less likely than a fighter injuring themselves. <laughs> I don't find anything less likely anymore. Yeah. That's. We're pretty it, much in a pandemic apocalypse right now. We're not even close to an apocalypse. Oh, no, an entirely predictable series of events took place whereby a virus went airborne, wasn't adequately contained, and spread to the world. It's not like that happens fairly yeah. regularly in uh, the course of human history. And look at all the deaths. I'm not saying it doesn't suck. I'm saying this is an entirely... Predicting that a pandemic was going to break out. One million dead. 
that's all globally? Um, yes. Okay, you know what? No. Let's all pat ourselves on the back about this for just a second. Assuming okay. that number is accurate, that's an exceptional job containing something like this, okay. believe it or not. Okay. Come on. Fair a mil- look, a million people, I don't mean to diminish anyone's suffering through this, okay? But if I'm going to take the macro view. That's still 288,000 dead in the U.S. from this virus. Yeah, it, which is what? About. Because it's 300 million people, so let's round up. Because we'll round that, we'll round the U.S. Yeah. population down to 300 million. We'll round that up to 300,000 for the sake of easy math. Okay. So we're dealing with, you know, what about one percent? Okay. All of the right. Total well, population. Well, I can certainly appreciate you looking on the bright side of things and being a glass half full person in this situation. Well, again, there's two very important caveats. One, that assumes that a bunch of places with more sketchy reporting are accurately reporting total numbers. I mean, if anyone believes the number that China gave about how many people this thing killed, uh, I have beachfront property in Omaha. I'd love to talk with you about. Well, yes. Yes, we are beholden to the stats that we are given, but... And my um, understanding, these stats are coming from like the CDC. So however much reliability, whatever you want to put on the CDC, whatever. I trust the CDC's assessment of what's happened in the United States. Okay. They're a because the CDC is, believe it or not, a United States government. Now, the World Health Organization, on the other hand, yes, I can, you know, don't call me a conspiracy theorist, but I can certainly understand some ambivalence toward them at this time and i'm honestly i'm a little bit skeptical about you know the numbers that have been reported in the united states uh, there's Fair a, enough. there and which is not to say that lest anyone accuse me of being one of these morons who you know goes out without a mask or whatnot any place that tells me to wear a mask i wear a mask i'm not an idiot that's not the same as saying that uh, i can also acknowledge that there are places that have that are reporting anyone dying with with the COVID virus as being a COVID fatality, which I think we can all agree is a little bit sketchy. And okay. Well, anyway. moving moving on from that. The rest of this um, card. Rest of this card. <laughs> now that we had our little interlude. <laughs> uh, we have Stefan Struve versus Tai Tuivasa. Yeah, that's about my level of enthusiasm. I mean, Tuivasa is on a three fight. Stefan Struve still fighting in the UFC. Tuivasa on a three-fight losing streak. Struve one and four in his last five. Lucky still has a job. I mean, in fairness, given his heart condition, he's lucky to be alive. Uh, I'll pick Tuivasa, but yeah, who cares? Alex Oliveira stepping in to fight uh, Shavkat Rachmanov. Uh, drawing the dirtiest fighter in the UFC for your debut has to be a rough thing. Uh, Rachmanov sounds slightly familiar. If I, I don't, he's not fought in the UFC before. I'm fairly certain of that, but see, he's Kazakh, undefeated. 
Uh, okay. Uh, one of his, at least one of his uh, M1 fights I saw. Okay, that's where I know him from. Um, he's been trying to get a fight lined up all year. He's had fights with Bartosz Fabinski and Ra- uh, Ramazan Amiv both canceled. Although I don't mind picking Rachmanov, but yeah, you know, Alex Oliveira, happy to cheat to win. Um, we have Da Eun Jung against Sam Alvey. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We've got that. Uh, I'll pick Jung. I don't care. Uh, Lauren Murphy will be fighting Lilia Sh- um, Shakarova. Um, that fight was supposed to be Cynthia Calvillo originally. Um, Shakarova, Uzbek. Okay, she's an Uzbek. She's she's not. She's from Uzbekistan. On a three-fight winning streak. I mean, Murphy's on a career best run, so I don't mind picking her here, but won't be shocked if that goes the other way. Uh, as for the early prelims, Nathaniel Wood will fight Casey Kenny. That's a darn good fight. Why is that catch weight? Hmm. Who's stepping in short notice? Somebody's stepping in short notice for that one. Hang on. That's the only reason for that to be a catch weight. Yeah. Nope. Is it a late addition to the card is all maybe? Seems that way. Let's see. So Wood normally fights, I guess, at Bantamweight? They're or? both Bantamweights. And then Casey Kenny. Uh, he fought Cat's weight against Manny Bermudez. Yeah, because Bermudez uh, missed weight. Um, Borg missed weight in their Bantamweight fight. Huh, I wonder what happened here. It might be that this that uh, they were just replacing another fight that fell off and because they yeah. added it somewhat late to the card. Could both be men. in because it's in Fight Island. Could be an issue, you know, Tra- traveling overseas and timing the weight cutting right. You know, yeah. it's a whole thing. Uh, certainly. I, I don't care that much. Again, they're both normally bantamweight, so. It's basically uh, a bantamweight fight where they're not cutting weight. I'm going to lean towards Kenny, uh, but this is a darn good fight. See, Liana Jojua will fight Miranda Maverick. Let's see, Maverick's fought in the UFC, right? No, this is her debut. Why is she? Her name is familiar. Because I haven't seen her in Victor fights, um, now that I look at them. Hey, yeah, I suppose. Pose Jojua, but you know uh, that one could go either way, certainly. And at lightweight, um, Joel Alvarez and Alexander Yakovlev. That's a pretty good fight, actually. Alvarez lost his UFC debut, but he had a tough draw. And uh, Demiris Magulov has won both fights since, including he tapped out uh, Joe Duffy back in July. Whereas Yakovlev. Uh, hasn't fought in about a year. I'm going to pick Alvarez there, actually. Yakovlev, you know, tough guy, solid veteran, but I think he's on the wrong side of his career as far as that goes. Uh, make sure I didn't miss anything else there. No, I think that's it. So that's the rest of our fight card. 
Jeff, anything stick out to you there? Anything you want to touch no, on? Nope. Yeah, it's a one, it's a two fight card. With Sam Alvey on the prelims in a light heavyweight fight. Look, he's not on the main card. I don't right? hate the guy or anything, but like, come on now. There's a lot of people that you can not hate and think that they shouldn't be in the UFC. He shouldn't be on like. I was fine with him having fights for a little while because he had he did pick up a few wins, but now it's it's embarrassing. Now it's embarrassing. I'm sorry. Look, he can he should go to Bellator and fight noted regional fighter Gegard Mousasi. Nothing. All right. Sorry, I I can't help poking at Mousasi fans on occasion. It uh, kind of makes me angry a little bit that Musashi left, but not all his fault. No, it wasn't. Yeah, but I, seriously, Sam Elvey should probably be doing the Bellator thing at this point. <laughs> yeah, he, I agree. I, I agree. If he still wants to be fighting, but geez. or the or the PFL thing if they get back up and running. Just not the UFC thing. Yeah, kind of where exactly. I'm, kind of where I'm, at, where I'm at on that. Uh, all right. As for the news, we got a couple of things to talk a little bit about here. Hooray. Let's start off with some terrible news. Jeff, I'm sorry about this. Mea culpa. But Dana White has kind of mentioned that apparently they want to have the ultimate fighter come back. He was asked. Why? About, he was asked Why? about this. Recently said their pl- their current plan is to start shooting the next season in November. They do not have coaches lined up. They do not have participants lined up. But Dana has a giant sentimental. I don't have a better phrase. Hang on. I- contender series as your new ultimate fighter. That's the best. That's the best way to do it. Look, I don't have a better word for Dana's fixation other than to state that he has some kind of bizarre nostalgia erection for the Ultimate Fighter. I don't know anyone that wants this property back apart from him. It's run its course. You've done all you can with it. You've done everything. Ultimate Fighter, when the UFC was sort of turning around, Ultimate Fighter was the perfect vehicle. Um, It was kind of like in that sort of uh, post-WWE Tough Enough era. Um, You know, they were on Spike TV. They were right after Raw the first season. Yeah, they were. Yeah. They kind of drew in that WWE audience. They would use it to promote like a, a, ma- a headlining fight they wanted to promote with the coaches. It worked for it worked for a while, mm-hmm. but there's no there's no reason to keep it on. Like I mean, like because they aren't getting these amazing prospects and contenders and champions. They have got let's let's be fair. They have gotten some contenders and champions out of the show. It has happened. Pretty but, much all of them from you know at least five to ten years ago. Right. I'm sure there are some exceptions in there. Um, if I went, I may, I, I think more of the novelty series might have, like, the ones where they tried to introduce a weight class with the season of The Ultimate Fighter, they would, they would keep more of the participants around. Okay. But, I mean, even then, 
You know, of the last like three seasons of The Ultimate Fighter that aired, who's the best fighter that came out of there? Let me see. From from when? What seasons? The last three. The last three. I couldn't even tell you. In fact, let me look. Let me look it up. What season was Dillashaw's season? Oh, that was a while before that. Was that 2011 or 2012? Um, Hang on. I need a list of seasons. Where are you? No, you are not. There's so many because there are so many at this point. There are. Um, Okay, hang on. Here we go. So non-international version. The last three. We had the Ultimate Fighter, uh, a new world champion. This would be the women's flyweight season. Right. So we got Nico Montano, Roxanne Modafferi. Uh, hang on. Oh my God. So Nico, Roxanne. Uh, we Lauren, got uh, Lauren Esparza. Murphy, Shauna Dobson. A, we had a Sparza. We had a Sparza for her strawweight season. Yeah, that was that was a strawweight season, wasn't it? To determine a new champion. That was um, that was multiple iterations back from that one, but yes. Okay. Whitaker so, hang on, wanted. So, hang on. I'm limiting this to the last three. So we have the the new world champion. So most of the flyweight division kind of came out of there. Not most, a chunk of it. Yeah. Uh, we had the undefeated season. This was coached by Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic. Uh, our, I just got a cast list here. I don't care about. Um, let's see who came out of that. I don't know that any of these guys are still even with the UFC, but we ha- uh, Brad Katona might still be there. Uh, Mike Trezano. So, point being, no one. And the last what season was Jesse Taylor. After he failed the drug test, whatever happened with him? I don't know. Isn't he a wrestler? Isn't he a professional wrestler now? I have no idea. No, that's um. No, I know Matt- Tom. I know Riddle and Tom Lawler both have. I think Jesse Taylor did too. I think they just quietly released Jesse Taylor. Oh, I know they cut that. him. Um. So the last season of The Ultimate Fighter was the heavy hitters season. And that was in 2018, that was da, 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 so heavyweight what? men's featherweight. So we got uh, Mace Kiasan, Justin Fraser, and Juan Espinina. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, hang on. I will give credit. I will say this about Juan Espino. He's only had, I think, uh, two UFC fights, two or three. Mm-hmm. So... He might turn into something. Okay, here we go. Kamaru, there you go. Kamaru Usman. So we have uh, to go the all the way back to... Five years ago. Five years ago, basically. Yeah. So, eh, Ryan Hall came out of the season after that, and Hall's fairly legit, but everything after that, everything after 15, uh, has not really... You know how many times Ryan Hall has fought since he won the Ultimate Fighter, Robert? How many? Three times. Guess how many times he's won? 
One of those fights was against BJ Penn. Yeah, and he won. Submitted him in the first yeah. round, as I oh, recall. Okay. Okay. Look, look, I Kamaru, feel bad. All right. Kamaru Usman is the most is the best, most legitimate athlete fighter to come out in the last five years. Probably since probably since Robert Whitaker, I would say. Um but like Kelvin Gaslam. Kelvin Gaslam became a title contender. He won back in 2013. Over over seven and a half years ago. There's no reason like we're not getting these elite guys anymore. We're just not. No, you're you're really not. And let's see, Brad Katona. Brad Katona yeah, has already lost two fights back to back. Yep. Um I mean, you had a. To be fair, there is one other season that deserves mentioning. The Tournament of Champions, one that they did at Flyweight, had yeah. a lot of legitimate guys. You had a lot of legitimate guys in that class. Most of whom the UFC didn't retain because reasons. And okay, Tatiana Jesse Taylor won the. I mean, come on here, Jesse Taylor. Yeah. Jesse um, Taylor. Okay, if Tatiana Suarez can ever get healthy enough, she's a legitimate straw weight, but it's really slim pickings. It's Jesse you know, Taylor's season was in 2008. Hey, Jonathan Brookins won a season. Uh, Look, it, it's it, I agree with you. It's not a worthwhile endeavor at this well, point. But, but basically, the, the crop of, like, really solid fighters that came out of the show, we kind of stopped. It kind of stopped after 2015, basically. Even 15 was kind of an exception. Like if, you, if you start parsing through the seasons kind of leading in there, you get one. one well, to two, two, well, 2014, you had Esparza and, and Rose. And well, again, you had an you had a division introduction for them, and I'm right. I freely admit those are a little bit different case. But Rose kind of became a star out of that season. Yeah, um, look, there were a number of people that came out of that one. Calvin Gaston, good, you know, Calvin's a good fighter. Calvin's yeah, you know, Calvin's and a he, good fighter, and he Uriah, he did look yeah. Um, Uriah Hall came out of that same season. Hall's still around. Chiesa had a good season. Was, that was the live season. That was a good season, I think. And there was some good talent that well, season. The live season had bits of good talent in there, yeah. And so did uh, the the Bisbing versus Miller season. That was the last Spike. That was the last one on Spike TV. That was um, kind of the last one that produced anyone, uh, apart from like Usman, who came in uh, yeah. fairly early in his career. Yeah. You just you're not getting them in this show. Yeah. So I just don't like the contender series is so much better just because you don't have, you don't have all the house drama and you don't have like multiple fights. It's just easier. You can, here's it's the, like, it, here's the best thing about the old, here's the best thing about yeah. the contender series. You don't put a major pay-per-view headlining fight on ice for 18 months. That's another good point. 
I mean, that was the whole, that was half, like, the last half or so of Tuff's existence. It wasn't about finding good talent. It was about promoting the fight between the coaches. But that made sense when Ultimate Fighter was drawing over a million viewers every week. Which it did for any number of years. Which what? Like, the last, you know, five to eight seasons were just in the Basically, ever since they moved to FS1. When they moved to FS1, ratings uh, on Ultimate Fighter like basically dropped in half. So basically, and the they last kept night, dropping over the last yeah over the last several seasons. Like not, not just even Rousey, that. not even Rousey versus Tate did good numbers, as I Look, recall. When your property is so damaged that the presence of Ronda Rousey or Conor McGregor couldn't meaningfully impact them, it's time to let it go. Yeah. So I. The only reason I would say keep it around is if you're doing like an an international version that no one, you know, to get like a, a couple ultimate fighter guys from overseas to be bodies on a card. That's the only reason. But we don't need it here in the U.S. anymore. It's just not worth it. And it's just it. It, it accomplishes nothing. It has no. It has no value. I just leave it alone. Things run their course, you know. The show was did its job. It helped rebuild the UFC. It helped give them a little bit of gas. It gave them a little bit of fuel to revive the brand and, and make them a viable brand and kind of bring in some new prospects. But there's no point in keeping it around anymore. It's just it was it was a big vehicle back in the day. Now, I just don't like, how do you even read? I don't even know how you revamp it anymore. And why would you even want to, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and being in the middle of a pandemic, I see no point in bringing it back right now. Here's a slightly different question that I think is a relevant one. If you're a fighter, why would you sign up for that? I guess the only reason I I could see is you feel it's your quickest and easiest path to getting a UFC contract, which I'm not even sure if the contract for Ultimate Fighter is all that worth it. Um, And you can say, hey, I was on Ultimate Fighter. I beat these guys. Like Roy Nelson, I can see why, you know, Take the ultimate fighter, basically tap dance your way into the UFC. And everyone everyone sees you doing it. But that was back in, in the Spike TV era when people were watching. Sure. So Well, I mean, to be fair to that season, that was the most watched season. Yeah, that's, that's my point. So largely because that of was ten, slice. that was ten years ago. That was over ten years ago. So I don't I don't see the value. I don't see the value anymore. There's no value in that contract. There's no value in giving up that that much time of your life to train in a house. You know, you, it, there's, it's there's probably no va- better. Yeah. There's no value to coaching it. There's no value to putting a big fight, you know, 18 months or so further away than it would be normally. Uh, I mean, if you're an up-and-coming fighter, you'd probably want to take the the O'Malley route anyway and try the Contender Series instead. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, look, the contender series is one fight to potentially get into the UFC. Whereas on this one, you're going through a giant gauntlet of other guys. You're stuck in a house with them for however long it takes to shoot the stupid thing. Without contact to the outside world. I yeah, I just I, yeah. I, unless you're homeless and need a place to stay, I don't know why you'd sign up for it. I don't know either. I don't know why ESPN would pay for it. Actually, they I, sorry, I don't think they'd be the ones airing it, right? Like the, U, the ESPN very sure. I think ESPN very specifically said you know, when they brought over the UFC from Fox, yeah, we're not bringing the Ultimate Fighter. So I mean, if, maybe they would put it on ESPN Plus. I have no idea. If ESPN, I don't think ESPN Plus is that starved for content. No, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they just, maybe they would. Maybe the UFC would try to throw it on Fight Pass and add value to that service. I kid. Of course, we know they're not going to do that. Uh, I, I, I hope it never know. comes back. I'm sorry, I, Dana White. I never want to see it again. Don't apologize to him. <laughs> you don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I don't know. Anyone I don't want to see it. OK, serious question to anyone listening. If we're if you do want to see it, I promise no mocking. Let me know. <laughs> I'm I hope twi- I'm on Twitter. I hope some people talking mad of it. I'm on Twitter at WinFreeMMA. If you do want to see the Ultimate Fighter come back, let me know. I know we have a small. This is a much smaller sample size of an audience, but or rather, don't let him know because then that also shows that no one cares. No one wants to see it. And only tell me if you do want to see it. I'm going to assume the re- the resulting resounding silence is exactly is what it is. But you know, feel free to tell me if you do. I'm happy to hear. Differing perspectives okay. from my own on that. I think right, we can. Anyway. I think we can move on from. <laughs> Moving on. The disaster uh, of Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's start with this. The drama around Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor seems to have settled. Uh, they, their fight is now targeted for the pay-per-view in January of 21. Uh, oh joy. I'm fine with it. Look, it's a it's a high profile fight. Connor's still pledging to donate half a million dollars to Poirier's charity, in which case, what in the world am I going to say bad about any of that? It's a perfectly serviceable main event. You could crown a number one contender coming out of this. It'll do a lot. Conor McGregor wasn't already going to be the number one contender with whatever it's not that they wouldn't try to make him fight in the title picture it's that he didn't have a real claim you know you congratulations you beat a blown up worn down donald cerrone at welterweight no one cares he needs a win at lightweight over a top lightweight poirier's a top lightweight so again the winner of this could be your number one be fighting tony ferguson that would have been ideal. That's th- I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm much more interested in that he fight. Fought por- he fought Poirier before. Oh, you it meant was, Connor? Yeah, Connor fought Poirier. I don't care what Connor does. I really don't. I yeah, nothing fought, would make me several. happier. Nothing would make me happier than seeing Ferguson in the cage with Conor McGregor. 
and I think you know why. Well, it couldn't. It wouldn't be because Tony would be getting an increased paycheck. He wouldn't. It yeah. would have to be your assumption that Tony would massacre him. It's not an assumption. It's an assumption. There's no ev- There's there's no direct evidence. So you would be making I have a, you would be making traveled a re- through the multiverse, you and I know how it would go. Look, you're making a reasonable assumption that Tony would massacre him. I'm not saying it's out of left field. But, you know, believe it or not, I kind of want Tony to have a slightly softer touch, if possible, after that Gagey fight. I mean, that was... Yeah, that's the Conor McGregor. Conor's not that soft. Uh, again, I would favor Tony very heavily, but... He fights with it. He, he fights... With his chin wide open and his head wide open. So does Tony. I mean, neither of those guys are defensive savants. Okay. So be perfect. Be perfect scenario for Tony Ferguson's comeback. But, again, I'm not going to complain about, you know, Poirier's charity potentially getting $500,000. That's... That that's you know an amazingly generous thing if Connor goes through with it. I, again, I'm fine with the fight. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Tony yet another next. reason though we should never take Connor McGregor seriously when he retires and announces his retirement, which he does every other month at this point. He's Connor just d- rolling for attention or just trying to tr- throw off the scent from his latest sexual assault arrest or case. Or investigation. Connor doesn't seem to understand how his leverage has rapidly diminished in the UFC now that they're with ESPN the way they are. And he's still kind of trying to figure out. I mean, Dana White, Dana White was like January 23rd. That's the date. And Connor's like, okay. Well, Connor tried to say, no, I want to fight again in 2020. And Dana's response (laughs) was, I'm not moving around the rest of the card. It's January 21. And, or you can take that, or now, you can. Here's get my question: Why, 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 why did Dana White take exception to not making the fight happen this year? You think? Oh, I'm gonna go with uh, three reasons. Okay. One, they've got most. They've got the. They've got most of the rest of this year set out. So okay. a late notice addition of that fight would displace a lot of other stuff they've already kind of mapped out. Okay. That's, That's a logistical one. issue. That's one. Two, to kind of try and set the tone again for 21. Remember, Connor and Connor and Cerrone were, I think, the first pay-per-view of 2020, if I if I Let's remember correctly. See. It was January t- uh, 2020. Correct. And they were trying to capitalize on the momentum that event generated, which generated a t- Connor's return generated a ton of traffic and a ton of momentum. And then, you know, so open the year. So open the year strong with the big so open show. the year strong with a big show with a. OK. And the third reason, because Dana White is a petty man and this is what he wanted to do. And he is now okay. in a position so- to tell Connor to eat it if he disagrees okay so to the first reason i feel like is superficial because ufc has moved tons of stuff around before and it, and i just don't see the point 
if they had if Connor wanted to fight, he wanted to fight this year, and we're not getting out of this pandemic anytime soon, and we're probably not getting fans back at for UFC anytime soon either. I, I don't know unless they do this thing with Whitaker and Adesanya, which I don't even know how that would pan out. Um. So if they felt it was beneficial to book Connor in a fight, I don't really see why. Jan- Frankly, I don't see why January 2021 makes that big of a difference. Really? Considering before this whole pandemic, the UFC was excited about the idea of Connor having an active 2020. So it makes no sense to me. One and two. Number three, Dana White being Dana White. Whatever. Uh, so honestly, I can kind of see the logic, but none of it still makes sense. If he wants to fight, book him in a fight at this point. I think for a period of time, they were trying to keep him on sort of standby to try and sell the Khabib rematch. Mm-hmm. And I think that the UFC the Khabib was... rematch just isn't there, though. It's just well, not there. It's ab- that's abundantly clear to us at this point. You know, rewind four months. And if you're the UFC and your plan is, okay, we're going to get Khabib and we're going to get Connor and they're going to coach the Ultimate Fighters resurgence and we're going to film it in November. If that's your plan, then guess what Connor's not doing until then? Now, Khabib, you know, torpedoed those plans. Because he said all the money in the world wouldn't get me to spend that much time around Conor McGregor. I don't blame him. But I don't I really do think there's a giant part of this that is just purely leverage and power. Conor's had a tremendous amount of leverage over the UFC for a long time. They're finally in a position to reassert their authority vis-a-vis him. They're going to do it. Connor capitulated to every demand the UFC made of this fight. What was every demand other than January 23rd? Uh, it started with Connor wanting, because initially it wasn't Poirier. They had they were trying to do Connor and somebody else. The UFC said no. Connor said I want to fight. Uh, then you know Connor said I want to fight again in 2020. The UFC said no. Connor tried an end around. I mean, the whole reason this Poirier some fight... Of, some of those are kind of just like the same thing. The entire the UFC wasn't even offering Connor fights. This fight came about because Connor said, "Hey, Dustin, how about we fight on Twitter?" And I'm prepared to, you know, make a generous donation to your charity to help make it happen. Right. And Poirier said, "Yes, I would love to do that. I my charitable work is very important to me." And the UFC said, no, you can't possibly do this on your own. We will profit off of it come hell or high water. So then- you see, I see no reason this fight couldn't have happened in December, frankly, if, if he was so keen to fight this year. You're, you're really underestimating the personalities in play and the realities of how people have to use leverage against each other. I mean... He- I, I'm not underestimating it. I just find Look, I you just might, find that, you might find, find it, it you might find it stupid, and some of it might be stupid. Uh, 
if you apply logic to it, but the world's not as logical as we think it is. And I very much think Connor, now this is just my speculate. This is purely speculation on my part. I definitely think Connor is eager to fight again to take some of the controversy he's been embroiled in, kind of draw the conversation away from that. Probably. You know, get some time, fight a southpaw, try to set up the Manny Pacquiao boxing match for some time next year. But once again, you cannot take him seriously whenever he announces retirement because it's 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 utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense and, and absurdity. I'm That's somewhat it amazed it's taken MMA fans this long into the sports existence to realize that you cannot trust what fight promoters or what fighters say. It really does boggle my just, mind. It, 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 all it's been is just uh, public negotiation. That's all it's been. That's what the vast majority of it is. I guess. Uh, I guess. I guess credit to Cejudo, he has largely stayed away from the sport after he announced it. Well, he hasn't. Other, than, other than his dumb tweets. Look, he didn't want to fight and defend a belt. He walked away. Now he's whining about wanting to come back. He's not. not he hasn't come back, though. No, he hasn't officially yet. But are we going to be surprised if he tries to stage a comeback? Anybody? Bueller? If he's waited this long, I will be a little surprised. I don't know. GSP waited plenty long. But GSP never retired at the time. That's true. He never said the retirement word. I think Cejudo's post-fighting life did not has not yet gone the way he expected it to, so he's trying to keep his options open. Uh, speculation on my part, but again, if I had to kind of throw a guess out there. By the way, um, I think this will be of interest to you. Steven Thompson has started his own YouTube channel, and he it's does been going fight for a while. Yeah, and he does really good stuff on there, and I think he's, it would. He's got one of the better MMA, not but he's. If you if you follow martial arts YouTube stuff, and I, not religiously, but I do. He's yeah. certainly one of the better ones. I agree. I agree. I don't fo- I don't follow a lot of YouTube channels for MMA either, but I'm like, wow, Steven's done a pretty good job just with his presentation and doing like fight companions and what have you. He's done. I've been very impressed. So, yeah. yeah good he, on you, Steven. He Thompson. takes Shout his YouTube content seriously. Yeah. Uh yeah, there's. I'm trying he to think does. About, uh, he does. He does like technique analysis. You know. Uh, he's got a videos. He's got a bit of a series on how to potentially build some power into your kicking game. Yep. Uh, stuff on he's, shin and hand he's conditioning. Built a, he's built up a good subscriber base too. You know. Yeah. And I really respect Thompson because you know he's not he's not out there getting into trouble. He doesn't you know he's not like a lunatic. He does things the right way, really. If you're other than well, other than the fact that his fights with uh, Tyron Woodley Wall, sorry, but yeah, those were not good, good fights. But you got a good YouTube channel, Stephen Thompson. So thank you. Ham, I'm trying to think some of the other ones I enjoy. Uh, I mean. 
this might not be appreciated by most people, but actually, like, the best mar- uh, martial arts YouTube channel is Teach Me Grappling. Uh, there's so much quality content there uh, for those. You kind of have to train because he, the guy gives you drills to go through and stuff, and well, you know, immense, which is immensely helpful uh, in more okay. ways than just here's something to look at. So this happened a week ago. Any word on John Jones admitting he hit under the cage and that urban and legend was no true? Cares. I don't think anyone cares. You don't, you don't care that he hit under a cage to hide from drug testers? Why should I? I mean, he was uh, the it, champion at the time. That's not an answer to why I should care. What if he did it again? My answer would be the same. Okay. Why should I possibly care what John Jones does in his spare time? Or in his training? All or in his right. personal life? Or in anything he does outside of when he gets in the cage. You don't find that you you don't find the fact that he did this somewhat suspicious, sketchy. Would you like the laundry list of crap that fighters do? Yeah, to me, yes, and to me, this is crappy. I'm not saying it's not. This I'm saying was I don't. This a crappy care. thing for him to do. Fighters do crappy things. Most fighters are crappy people. Eh. Sorry, I hate to break this to everybody if you don't know. Well, that said, I hope they don't make this fight because I'm. It annoys me. Okay. So that happened. I don't care what John does. I really don't. Well, how about the fact that when Chael Sonnen was spreading this story on Joe Rogan's podcast that he was actually telling the truth? I don't care about what Chael Sonnen does. Okay. But it just makes me think if some of the other crazy things uh, things Chael has said are also true. What if they are? Well, then then that would mean uh, Junior Dos Santos is also a notorious cheater who has been using PEDs for years, if you put any weight on that. So what? Mm. <laughs> it is what it is. Look, I'm be- I'm, I am beyond getting worked up over stuff like this. Again, I can't stress this enough. Most fighters, whatever the fight discipline, they're not good people. Okay. That's why, so you celebrate, this is, that's why you celebrate the ones who are good people, because they are so rare. Okay. So, yeah. So that's why I celebrate you, Stephen Thompson, even though your title fight sucked. Uh, okay. So here's some actual hang on, good news. Hang on. I've uh, Last thing that I had written down here. Okay. Uh, the UFC confirmed that uh, Bantam, the bantamweight title fight this between what Peter I was Young about to say. And Aljamain Sterling, yeah. This was what I was about to say. uh, They will be fighting on UFC 256, so that will be... December 12th in Vegas. Uh, Yeah, the December 12th. They will be serving as... I think they'll be coming to Nunes and Anderson. The fight's not official yet, so they haven't... It's not... Uh, so I guess they haven't signed the contracts yet or whatever, but and they're in the is, process of finalizing the negotiations. Uh, I'm very happy if the, if, I hope the fight gets made. 
Aljamain Sterling deserves this fight. Um, do I think he beats Peter Yon? No, but this is the fight. This is the fight that should happen. Uh, it it's, a, it's a great fight. I don't know why they didn't sign it sooner. I, I I mean, this yeah, was the fight they to make. Because they booked Peter Yawn in a stupid, bogus fight against Jose Aldo. Well, no, hang on. Why. So you make that. But as soon as that fight was done, and I think right around that same time, Sterling submitted Corey Sandhagen, right? Those those events were fairly close together. Yeah. That was it. They should have made that fight right after that. Not that complicated, guys. Well, we are in the middle of, of a pandemic. I'm not saying things that things are you know, not working. Things are not working as they normally are. I'm not saying that you couldn't make, you know, the the date might have been, you know, fungible because of travel issues and whatnot. I'm not saying there aren't complications or hurdles to overcome. I'm saying the fact that as soon as yeah, those that was fights, the fight that once Yon beat Aldo, it was clear that was the fight. And for some reason, I mean, the UFC, even if all they had come out and said was, yeah, that's the fight to make, we're working on it. They didn't. They spent, you know, a couple of months. Sometimes they don't want to show their, they don't want to show their hand. They don't want to, whatever. But that was the fight. Yes, it was clear that was the fight. And if somehow this fight is not booked, if not December, January, February, I will be very steamed, very steamed. Unless this is the only gets, title fight to make it Bantamweight right now. The unless, only one. Unless somebody gets seriously injured. Yeah. This is yes, it. Beyond that, beyond that, this is the only title fight to make. The only one. Yeah. This is your clear-cut champion, your clear-cut number one contender. Let's do it. It's, and... I'm kind of with you. I favor Yawn just a little bit, but that is an insanely competitive fight. It is paper. very competitive, but Yawn is still going to destroy Sterling and make him regret, regret getting into the octagon. But I don't know. That's rough. Uh, Sterling's really good. So is Yawn. Yawn well, is the champion. Look what he, he did to Jose I, Aldo. I am well aware. Uh, he murderized Jose Aldo. Let me put it like this. There's a reason a lot of people who know a lot more than I do were saying that Sterling was going to be the one to beat Henry Cejudo. And I take that very seriously. I don't see that at all. I think Sterling is a great fighter. I think he's a good to great fighter, but I just don't see that. Yeah, the more I think about that fight in particular, the more I do kind of favor Sterling. The reason I don't is because Sterling, I, I seem just making too many mistakes so often. Uh, Cejudo struggles with guy struggles with closing distance, especially against guys who know how to manage it properly. He, he struggles letting his hands go. He struggles in the standup. Sterling's, Sterling's not a puncher. He's a kicker more than he is a puncher. He's, he's actually, actually, he's really a grappler more than anything. Well, sure. And so you know, when Cejudo tried to tie up with him after getting frustrated at kicking distance, he'd be in a world of trouble. I just think I I feel like Jan is a more complete. Well, he's more well-rounded. He has better transitions. I just see no way Sterling wins this fight in any area. I, but, see, I see plenty. of. If you want me to make the argument, I can make the argument about how Sterling wins this fight. Sure, I, I can see I can see you making the argument. I just I'm not I do not feel confident picking Sterling. 
I don't think I don't think he wins the fight in any area, and I think Jan is going to just make him miserable for most of the fight until he finishes him. I'm leaning towards Jan, but again, Jan I'm, is a Jan is a nasty guy. He, he, is he nasty. absolutely is. Look, I was singing that man's praises. He's a murderer. He got, I was singing that man's praises before he got he to the UFC. Thriller, I've been on that train. He's a thriller killer. Yeah, I've been on that train for a while now. <laughs> I I really have, but I I just know how good Sterling is, and I know that that's that's why I want to see the fight. It's yeah, a I great want, fight. I, I want, yeah, it's a great fight. Sterling has done more than enough to earn this shot. This is the only title fight to make right now. You make this fight, and it better happen. Or I am going to scream. Eh, no one cares except your neighbors. Okay. The neighbors are going to be very upset, though. And they're going to hear. I'm sure they will. <laughs> so for the, for the sanctity of my neighbor's sanity, Dana White, make this fight happen. He doesn't care about your sanity or mine. Okay. In fact, he actively tries to undermine it on occasion. I still uh, right. want this fight to happen. So do, look, I really want that fight. That is a great fight. That's the that is the correct title fight to make between the two we best guys in arguably the best division and, in the sport. And the legend of Peter Yawn will continue to grow. The dynasty of Peter Yawn's amazing title run. And I'm kind of sad I'm kind of sad that. This got announced, I think, over the last week, so it's somewhat tangentially related. There's only one guy that's beaten Peter Yan. It's a fellow by yeah. the name of Magomed Magomedov. Those two had two title fights in uh, what at the time was ACB. And they split them. And uh, sadly, Magomedov is uh, signed with Bellator, I believe, over the week. So, sadly, again, not going to get the rubber match between those two, which is kind of a shame because both of those fights are very good. Magomed is um, 38 years old, too. And uh, so he, yeah, got, his... he got Jan when he was very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, look, Jan happened. won the second one. I would favor Jan in, the, in a rubber match. Jan was like 22 when that fight happened. Yeah. I would, I would favor Jan in the, in the hypothetical yeah. rubber match. But I would still Jan's confidence, Jan's confidence facing legends and just longtime veterans. The guy looks like he looks like he's cold blooded. It looks like nothing phases him. No, he's uh, he's from that part of the war. He when I you know when you say he's from Russia, Russia's a very large place. The man is from Siberia. Yeah, he proudly wears that moniker. <laughs> So that's very excited about that fight, provided it gets made official in the coming days, hopefully. Yeah, that's the last thing that I have written down. So if you don't have anything else, I'm I gonna... ho- no, that's all I had. I, I hope that f- I, I assume they're waiting until 254 to announce that fight is what I'm assuming. Makes sense. Uh, get it in front of the biggest number of people. Uh, let me check Twitter real time. Real time. One last time. Uh, it doesn't look like anything. Doesn't look like anything crazy has broken in the last couple of hours. So let's go ahead and get into plugs, Jeff. It's 
been a couple of weeks so what do you have to plug okay so my latest podcast interview the 411 wrestling interviews podcast i interviewed uh mlw uh middleweight champion myron reed mlw they have a restart coming up you recap mlw for us don't you robert sometimes yeah i do <laughs> Uh, so, I don't know what I'm going to do when they move to uh, DAZN, because I don't have that service. Well, um, so I think they're also on Fubo Network, and I think they're still doing BN Sports. So I don't know what the status is with BN Sports, though. Um, Myron Reed interviewed him, interviewed MLW's Kevin Koo. So check out the, uh, the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast. All those interviews are on our YouTube channel on 411 Mania, Apple Podcasts, uh, 411 uh, Wrestling Interviews Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, if you could listen to those, if you could give me a five-star rating, if you could give me a like, comment, or subscribe from our YouTube channel, would very much appreciate that. And um, still working on a couple other things on the horizon. Uh, I don't know what's happening with Mandalorian and if uh, we'll be able to review it, but uh, we'll see. Some of that depends on other parties. All right. As for myself, uh, this last week, Mark and I got together one day later than normal because he had to have his wisdom teeth out. And we reviewed uh, The Babadook from a few years ago because... We're nothing if not horribly, horribly late with all of our uh, trending stuff. I've always wanted to watch that. Is that a good horror film? I think so. Like one of the better, like probably modern kind of uh, sort of obscure modern horror films, you think? Do you like horror movies that build tension? Yeah, for sure. Stuff like Paranormal Activity. uh, No. Exorcist. Paranormal Activity, no. Hell no. Well, is that because of the found footage or because I of... hate found footage? I'm done with found footage. So, so hang on, hang on. I, I, so, do you object to just that gimmick, or is there something about the way the again the way that movie builds tension and uh, generates its scares? Both. You in might Austin. not like it then. Hmm, Babadook is. I just mean that Babadook is. It's not found footage. Okay. But it's a lot of you know long shots. Built, uh, kind of slow building tension. That I think is good. Uh, that's what Paranormal Activity does in terms of how it builds I don't scares. Think, uh, I don't think Paranormal Activity does it well, though. But fair enough. So, I don't know. If you can find it, I if you like horror movies, I think it's at least worth a watch. So, Mark and I talk about that. Uh, this coming week... Uh, that'll be – I have to double-check something, actually. Um, Thursday – I know this one for a fact. Uh, Thursday, myself and Alexis Haina will be getting together to review the uh, HBO series Lovecraft Country, which should be wrapping up its run tonight as we record. So we'll be talking about that on Thursday. Um, let's see. And 
our review of, so I have to double check the schedule here. I'm pretty sure that, yeah, that'll be uh, next week when Mark and I review The Empty Man. The trailer for that dropped, and I just wanted, it makes me sad. Makes me even sadder <laughs> than, oh, God. We'll get to that. So Mark and I will do a, re a review and a compare and contrast for The Empty Man and the source material it's based on. Uh, that'll be coming again, not this, uh, the 27th, I think, was the scheduled date for that. So, stuff to be on the lookout for further out. Uh, you can find my coverage of UFC events in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. So, my full review of UFC on ESPN Plus 38. Saturday, coverage of UFC 254. Again, please remember the early start time. Uh, main card starts 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so... Adjust you your... and Mark uh, should review John Dies at the End. Eh, I that don't might put... be of interest to you. I don't want to put myself through that again. Uh, I found the book marginally more interesting than the movie, and it, it just annoyed me. I The movie annoyed me. Oh, yes, it, it certainly, again, the movie annoyed me to death. Uh, if you want, if you want an actual, like, look at the Ship of Theseus kind of thought experiment slash paradox, there's better places to do it. Uh... And okay, yeah, I do. I do review the MLW shows, such as they are at the moment. They're just re-airing old episodes of their show on YouTube, so I suffer through that. I do say suffer through that. These are they're re-airing stuff from like 2003, 2004, and uh, it's not good. I also now do the SmackDown coverage on Fridays, so you can find me doing that uh, over in the Wrestling Zone. Uh, Watch how WWE continues to disrespect Sami Zayn every week. Who? The Intercontinental Champion. That's still around? Yes. Huh. Look, Sami Zayn's career peaked during his tag when he was El Generico with Kevin Steen. Everything else has been downhill. Oof. 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 His career never recovered. Uh, Look, the highlight, the highlight for Sami Zayn slash El Generico, apart from all of his great charitable work with orphans in Guatemala, is in fact his latter war in Ring of Honor. Everything else in his career has been downhill. Ah. Uh, and the sad thing is I might be able to make the same argument about Kevin Steen. Well, Kevin Steen did become Universal Champion. He yeah, was kind he of did. the face of Raw for a while. So Well, he was the I champion. think his I he think his career Okay. Well, I think his career basically peaked with that about several years ago. That's probably true. I mean, look, the best here's the reality of Kevin Steen. The best thing he ever did was get his newborn son to take to pin his opponent. 
He did that at a PWG show some years ago. Okay. Kind of mean, but, you know. Sorry. I'm not here to be nice. You're a very caustic guy sometimes. I certainly can be, especially when I'm talking about things I don't like. Yeah. And I don't really like professional wrestling right now, so that winds up being I mean, I I can understand that. So, yeah. You can find me Fridays. I let you know what's going on on SmackDown. Uh, I, I can't wait for the 576th iteration of uh, Seth Rollins and the Mysterio family. Just, I can't believe that is still going on. Just really can't wait. <laughs> so, yeah, you can find me there. I make jokes. I tell you what's going on. It's a party. So that's the other thing I'm doing with my time at the moment that you guys can follow. Uh, That's going to wrap us up here then. Thank you all very much for listening. I deeply appreciate it. Thanks to Jeff, as always, for contributing. Until next time, everybody, stay safe out there as usual, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.